0: So is it recording now? I think so. So did you want to start the first episode? <laughs> I don't even know how to start it. Oh, no. <laughs> like a loon. Um, I think the first episode is going to be a bit awkward because we're just getting into the the gist
1: of things. Yeah, it's going to be awkward, isn't it? We just need to rip the band aid off, like rip it off. Hello. Have like posh
0: phone voices. <laughs> I know.
1: You're
0: Do that okay so hi charlie hi hamia
1: (laughs) this is our first episode of murder nerds (laughs) i am so stupidly excited this is absolutely bloody ridiculous we've ripped off a band-aid and we've started our journey on our own little podcast our own little baby hoping it would be a bit different to other podcasts because it's going to be more about the areas that we live in the locality of the southeast the south area
0: maybe a kind of london or obviously in england we're not just going to focus on recent murders we're going to look at murders throughout history in our local area but also we're going to look at paranormal paranormal weird stuff and yeah. ghost stories just anything weird and morbid that's happened around the southeast and yeah. researching it all and we're going to go out and visit locations perhaps we'll get involved in some ghost walks and things like that
1: (laughs) (laughs) definitely I mean we live in an area where there is so much history that if we kind of just went on local history alone it would be very kind of war based but we'd still have loads to talk about so much history here know, yeah, there's just so much going on. There's so many stories. And I think when you messaged me about this, I thought about kind of the local history and what's interesting regarding that. But obviously, there's so much more mm. really weird things. There's alien sightings, there's ghosts. We've got one of the most haunted places in the whole of the country, maybe even the whole of the world down the road. Mm. There's just so much we could talk about. So I'm really excited to do it. And I'm really excited to be doing it with you.
0: I am just really fascinated in finding out about the people as well that lived here before us. I just think that's really interesting, just thinking of who's walked in the footsteps before us and finding out a bit more about our local community rather than finding out about, you know, a murder that's happened somewhere that I don't know anything about. It's just nice to know we can visit. and
1: It makes it more real when it's an area you can visit. We are there because we're morbid, but we're also there because we're humans and we want to learn about other humans. And as you said perfectly, when we were researching, mainly you researching for this episode and we went on that visit, it really kind of compounded that like these are real lives. And I think that's something that we want to do is we want to be authentic to what has actually happened. Yeah. Okay. Do you want to start telling me about your case, seeing as you're the organized one and you are already? Mm-hmm. I'm really excited to hear about your case.
0: The case centres around a lady with a very interesting name. She's called Bertha Spain Haggerston Peterson, and she was born in 1854, Her father was Reverend William Peterson of Biddenden, where we visited, and he'd previously been vicar of Sissinghurst, a nearby village. And they moved into the rectory next to the All Saints Church in Biddenden in around 1891. And we popped by the new rectory building and we visited the vicar there, where we tried to find out a little bit more about the history in Biddenden. So the victim of the story is John Wibley. He was born in Biddenden in around 1860. He lived there his whole life. He was a shoemaker who lived in the high street. He was supposedly a local newspaper reporter as well. He was married to Sarah Louise, a friend in June 1890. They had no children, but they lived with their niece. So Bertha and John met each other at the church. Bertha played the organ and took Holy Communion. John was a Sunday school teacher however in around january of nine, uh sorry 1897 a story leaked that he'd indecently assaulted a little girl and he paid 5 pounds to hush up the scandal so he's absolute trash yeah totally oh okay so yeah i mean the fact that he paid out the money sounds very suspect and so- why would
1: you take that like if if that was your child why would what i i really don't get some people like okay like, let's leave that be I know. Absolutely
0: mad. Oh my god. Yes, button. I just can't no, don't I don't find out who the child was, so or children. So a new schoolmaster entered the school called Mr. Arthur Horton. He encouraged John to leave because the rest of the teachers threatened to retire if he remained there. Rightfully so. So John ceased to have any association with the schools, but he remained a highly respected and well-known person in the district, surprisingly. Not a lot was really done in regards to these allegations. That's quite concerning. So on the 16th of March, 1897, Bertha wrote John a letter saying that she'd found out that he'd committed a crime against the young girl and asked him if he was able to clear his name. And he replied saying he'd take a solemn oath that he was innocent. Then an inquiry subsequently was held into John's behaviour and Bertha was one of the people questioning him. After the inquiry, she wrote seven letters to the Archbishop of Canterbury. She wrote to the rural dean, church wardens and others regarding assaults, I've got written here, against children in the parish. Her letters allegedly numbered in the hundreds and were incoherent. Although it was never positively proven that John had sexually assaulted any children, Bertha felt she couldn't clear him of suspicion, and she became almost like fixated on it. She'd found out about young girls being traded in London, and was determined that this wouldn't happen in her father's parish. So I think she felt quite protective over the children in Biddendom. It's her uh, community,
1: Dad, so she'd be protective over them. Yeah,
0: exactly. So tragedy then struck the Peterson family when Bertha's mum, Harriet, suffered an epileptic seizure. She fell into the fireplace at the rectory and burned to death. Poor Harriet. It was a Christ. horrendous way to die. Oh, my goodness. Yeah. Oh, nasty. Poor Harriet. Yeah. And I think I read somewhere that Bertha saw her or found her. So, um, yeah, I can imagine that had a lasting impact on.
1: I was going to say the psychological scars from seeing your mum die that way, or the aftermath of her dying that way, must be absolutely
0: horrific. I did read somewhere that the rectory was in quite a damaged condition, and I think that's why when we visited, it was all it was a newer building. I yeah. wonder if it was because of that incident, but I couldn't find right. any more information. I wondered if it burnt the rectory down or something
1: if i would explain why it's not because uh, when we saw it definitely mm-hmm. wasn't a 1890s building was it it's a nice kind of up-to-date building mm-hmm. yeah. that would make sense wouldn't it? that would make a lot of sense as to why they don't have the original rectory because lots of churches locally do have original rectories because mm-hmm. of the age of the area yeah make sense. so she could have potentially lost her home and her mother
0: in just one kind of afternoon that's that's, intense. that's yeah. intense so following um her mother's death her dad unsurprisingly wanted to retire at this point and a story started to spread that Bertha had been neglecting her father by starving him and on one Sunday while she was at church a relative arrived with Dr Harris of Cranbrook and took her father from his bed And when Bertha found out, she and a friend left the church. They pursued her father on a bicycle, which had punctured tyres. They didn't get very far, unsurprisingly, before giving up. And this was when someone called Reverend Raven took over her father's role, which I think is an awesome name. And Bertha, obviously upset about losing her father, left Biddenden and went to Rygate and became a sister at a home there. So things didn't seem to go too well there. She was there for about a year or so and they handed her notice to leave by January 1899 because they didn't think she was fit to be there. They found her to have a peculiar manner and she would talk non-stop very excitedly about a Mr John Wibley. It was at this time that Bertha went and bought a six-chambered revolver from Army and Navy stores for £5. She bought a piece of wood board from a Walter Record interesting name a grocer in Edgerton she did target practice for about two hours on a farm which was later found with 42 bullet marks in it Bertha then telegrammed another Harriet Mrs Harriet Stapley it's the name if you're in Kent clearly so Mrs Stapley was the landlady of the Rose Inn so we wandered around there literally round the corner from the high street wasn't it Uh, So she reserved a bed and she returned to Biddenden by bike. She obviously liked her bikes.
1: (laughs) Did she have adequate wheels to get her there? I think so.
0: (laughs) Hopefully, hopefully bless her. Um, Her luggage came by carrier from Headcorn Station and she did not look as though she intended to return to Rygate because she literally came with everything. On the third... February 1899 she remarked that she wanted to make friends again with the people she'd fallen out with and the following day she hastily rode her bike back to headcore making anxious inquiries as to the whereabouts of a picture she was expecting to get that evening she wrote John Wibley a letter had it delivered to him asking if he was willing to forget her accusations and if he would be willing to let her make amends she said dear Mr Wibley I've had very much in my mind what took place in the spring of 1897. Are you willing to forget this? And if so, what amends do you think you should ask from me? I was wrong in the attitude I took. I believe you were hardly treated. In any case, it was not for me to judge. Will you come into the infant schoolroom tomorrow morning after church and look at the picture I'm going to give to the school and shake hands? I want to give one pound, one shilling to the foresters or something you're interested in. I shall understand that you are willing to forgive and forget. She asked Mr. Raven, Mr. Pinion, Mr. Lavance and Miss Thurkill to see her at the infant school retract what she'd previously said about him. So the following day, Sunday, February 5th, that morning, John's wife said he was absolutely rejoiced at the thought of reconciliation with Bertha. He was really looking forward to having those accusations wiped And the landlady, Harriet of the Rose Inn, helped Bertha to pack the picture. And Bertha walked past John's house on the way to church that morning. And the organist was ill, so Bertha was very happy she could play that day. And she sat and ate breakfast with everyone, obviously very happy to be back. And Reverend Raven went off to the infant school, saw Bertha and John enter the schoolroom and go to the table in the middle of the room. Bertha opened a plaited basket, containing some letters, and she asked John to look at the picture hanging on the wall over the organ and said she wanted to donate it to the school. And it was a picture of the Good Shepherd, which is Jesus holding a lamb. And when he was looking, she handed him an envelope and said it was her donation. And she asked him to again take a second real good look at that picture. And while Reverend Raven was busy looking at a letter, he heard the gunshot and saw John shot in the back of the head and he instantly fell dead on the floor. He left quickly, getting the schoolmaster, Mr Horton, and somebody grabbed that revolver out of her right hand. I don't know how I have this detail, but William Avery, a harness maker, saw Bertha walk towards the Rose Inn. So she... Didn't look too bothered by what she'd just done, and he asked her to come back. And she said, "I suppose you know what what I've done this for. I suppose you know that a woman is justified in killing a man as a child is not able. I did this to protect other children." She said she did it in self defence and did it to protect the little children of Biddenden. Mister Avery detained her in the schoolroom until the arrival of Con- Constable Mungum, who arrested her. And she said to him, "Where have you gentlemen been to allow this man to out- outrage little children?" She was taken to Cranbrook police station a crowd allegedly gathered outside the police station groaning and hissing at Bertha while she was taken to the train station to be transferred to Maidstone jail so obviously they didn't take too kindly to what she'd done didn't really think there was any reason for her to behave that way so John was aged 38 when he died and we saw his gravestone in the graveyard. You managed to find it. I couldn't find it anywhere. His funeral was held on 10th of February, 1899. And there was reportedly a large attendance of members of the village lodge of the ancient order of foresters, whoever they are. And following her arrest, she wrote a letter to her friend, Miss Gold. She said, God told me to do what I've done. This will break your heart. But I have no fear. I am content my own lamb, which I thought was quite interesting because of the picture
1: yeah definitely there's a theme going
0: through here Mm. religious imagery is flowing strongly throughout this story Mm -hmm. It did make me wonder if her friend miss gold could have been a victim i don't know obviously it's speculation but
1: i totally when you were actually saying you know when it's when she said i did this to stop him hurting other children i wondered if maybe he could have hurt her like in the past or Mm. because that's just I mean, obviously, this is like secondhand words from over 100 years ago. But Mm -hmm. if I heard someone say, I don't want them to hurt anyone else, or I don't want them to hurt other people, it would presume that maybe they hurt you too, which is really interesting. And definitely kind of with a scold perspective as well. I wonder if he just, I mean, he's not a nice person, so it wouldn't be surprising if he had more than one victim
0: Exactly. It's only a tiny village as well, which is worrying. So she said, um, if our hearts are broken and we have to go through agony, we shall have but partly the means of saving little girls. I should be quite happy if it were not for you. I love you always, your loving Bertha. Bertha was interviewed on the 24th of March by a Dr. Francis Davies of Barming Heath, Kent County Lunatic Asylum, And he said she was having hallucinations and was deluded. And Bertha was deemed to be insane. She was considered to be of weak mind and likely to become insane at any time. She was regarded a very eccentric and extremely emotional person. And whilst Bertha was awaiting trial, her dad died suddenly. She was reportedly so hysterical as she refused to be comforted. So on the 10th of July... 1899 she had her trial at Kent Assis in Maidstone she carried with her a copy of the maiden tribute to modern Babylon don't know what it is maybe I'll have a little later and a copy of the criminal law amendment act she wore a fur coat cape a black dress and a coloured felt hat trimmed with feathers (laughs)
1: she has had this thought out (laughs) you you can't tell me that she
0: didn't already have her outfit planned before she killed him well she pleaded guilty but they didn't accept it and the jury were asked to decide whether she was responsible for her actions at the time of the murder she was deemed to be insane and sent to Broadmoor criminal lunatic asylum which yeah which is the oldest psychiatric hospital in England and most famously known as the home of Charles Bronson, I don't know what his current name is, and he keeps changing <laughs> So that was in Berkshire. Her friend Miss Gold, who I mentioned earlier, said that Bertha was keenly interested in religious matters and the question of protecting children. She took an active interest in the criminal law amendment act movement. She had taken one child from the village and provided for it. And she was also very fascinated by Reverend Benjamin War. And she was deeply concerned in the welfare of the White Cross League. And she was anxious that its work should be encouraged in Biddenden by the parishioners. So up until the end, Bertha believed that God had forgiven her. And she told Dr. Francis that she supposed men would be so wicked as to want to hang her. And she did not care if they did, as the Almighty would protect her. And she said it was not insane to do something for a good cause. She said that people that throw themselves out of window for no good cause might be, but she was not. She said to the prison surgeon at Maidstone Jail that it was a divine command which told her to shoot John, to plan and execute it, and she would do it again if given the opportunity. She said men had no sense of right and wrong. Every woman could understand these things, and laws in England wanted a lot to get them altered, and she did not know whether she had made a stir in the world, but if she had, she hoped it would be the means of getting the laws altered. She died at Broadmoor Asylum, on the fifth of September, nineteen
1: twenty-one, age sixty-eight. Yeah, so she had like a long old life, considering mm-hmm. all, all of that. Oh my goodness, that is fascinating. I've got kind of clips here and there from you, but that whole story, the information as well, is wild. How do know that someone was a harness maker a hundred years a <laughs> hundred years ago? And he saw her go back to her lodgings. It's like, how do people
0: have this? I know. Oh, out. that's absolutely mad but the reason I think I wanted to start off with her story was the fact that she wanted to make a stir in the world and nobody knows who she is she lived in this little village in Biddenden I mean the vicar there sort of knew the story like it's, it's... kind of ironic
1: isn't it but people that may want to make the change on the world the most are sometimes the people just fade into the background or fade mm-hmm. into a local sleepy village with a pub and a cafe and that's it <laughs> it's absolutely mad isn't it it's just so typical of the time where even if a woman admits to being guilty that she is just going to be put away in asylum because mm. no no she's a woman she couldn't possibly she mm-hmm. couldn't possibly know but that's what she wants to do because she's a delicate female flower mm mm-hmm. It's wild to me. And that was the case until, I think, even the recent, like, 60s, 70s. Yeah. She couldn't
0: have strong opinions of her own. No, she had to be insane.
1: That's has been saying? All your strong opinions are because you're insane? I hope you realise that, Charlie.
0: <laughs> but, to give her credit, she was writing, apparently, hundreds of letters to people, and she obviously felt like nothing had been done. Not that I justify murder, but... But if you weren't being
1: listened to and you sent hundreds of letters and you truly believed that this man had hurt children in your village, mm-hmm. maybe even could have hurt you or your friends in the mm-hmm. past, then what, what are you meant to do? If you went to the police, you'd be a crazy woman. Mm-hmm. It's kind of you're damned if you do, damned if you don't in that era. Um, mm-hmm. Until kind of a lot more recently as well. It's I feel like it was her only choice. And as mm-hmm. you said, I don't advocate for... Murder, but
0: what was she meant to do? That picture had a meaning where she she wanted that to be the last thing he saw when he died. Definitely, it'd be
1: interesting to kind of look into the connotations and denotations people get from looking at that picture. I don't know; it might be kind of significant uh, to the mm-hmm. theme of innocence or something. It would just be really interesting to see why that picture mm, but no, no, oh, no. honestly just finding that grave was so bizarre all we knew was that it was a cross and I kind of worked out it's probably on the edge or on a boundary and then don't know after 10 graves bam there it was mm-hmm. no it's like we were meant to find it but it was so weird kind of realizing yeah. the person yeah. that was there was a piece of shit Mm. sorry (laughs) my Mm. language
0: when I get so into these things just turns feral it's just he was like somewhat protected by being a member of this foresters society I don't know anything about them but I wonder if it was kind of a look after your own type of situation I can imagine it probably is especially as he had the money
1: to kind of pay people off to shut them up Like, he's clearly, obviously, this rich older man, probably had religion supporting him because he was still supported by the school, was let go. He wasn't fired. He was let go. and Yeah. So he's obviously supported by the community. And Mm -hmm. that, again, is what we see in a lot of predators now, is they won't be punished, but they'll be just kind of sent to the sidelines because they're protected by money. They're protected by all sorts of things. Mm -hmm. It's not much has changed really it's actually quite sad <laughs> it's mm-hmm. quite sad but if you have money you're you're good to go you can do what you want mm-hmm.
0: but yeah people don't wow. get into how many whistleblowers just get like brushed to one side and it, it's
1: amazing that more of them don't go absolutely crazy and kind of starts vigilante justice because mm-hmm. it must be it must be absolutely awful to know that something's going on and want to protect people and no one's listening to you mm-hmm. even if you send hundreds of letters even if you send hundreds of emails it's mm-hmm. it's just a sad reoccurring theme but really really want to end that, that kind of cycle but i don't think it will happen in our lifetimes
0: mm. wow oh goodness, that's bertha
1: <sighs> about it's a beautiful village but Goodness, goodness me. I'm really excited to look around more villages with you Mm -hmm. and see what other tales we can find. It's going to be really good. I'm really excited to start this project with you.
0: Fine. gonna sound like a robot the whole way through (laughs) i think because you
1: had your mind on a mission you're like i'm gonna get this done i'm gonna get it out of the way and then (laughs) the first bit you were really fast and then you slowed down i was like okay she's okay now but you were fine so now i just have to finish my case hopefully for tomorrow and then we can
0: record another episode well i was reading about one today weirdly enough it was another female murderer I don't know why,
1: but I, these female murderers give me life. I, I just get so sick <laughs> of hearing about male murderers. A man lost it and killed someone <laughs> again. You know? It's just repetitive. Mm-hmm.
0: That's it. <laughs> you know? But yeah. Oh. I- we'll see. <laughs> Hopefully it's all right. <laughs>
1: We want to hear your stories. Morbid stuff. Doesn't matter if it's a bit creepy. We have an email. Um, I don't know it off the top of my head yet. So we put it in the podcast notes. If not, they're on our Facebook and Instagram. Just search up Murder Nerd. Bye.